0: It's a considered a game, but it really isn't because you have one sibling who will start copycatting another one. Whatever one kid does, the other one will do also. If the kid says, hey, knock it off, the other one say, hey, knock it off. And, and the kid who is copying becomes real annoying to the one who he, they are copying. And it won't be long before the kid who is being copied will yell out, mom or dad, Billy won't stop copying me. And, and as a parent, you try not to become too angry and you try to separate, but Billy keeps annoying Sally and um, because Billy keeps copying and won't stop. I sat and thought about that. I, I often wonder if Jesus has ever went to the Father and went, Dad, the church won't stop copying me I mean no matter what they just keep copying me and they won't stop I amen that would be great but I wonder if Jesus is often this father my children don't copy me I tried to teach them I tried to show them but the father they don't do it today As I said, I think we're looking at the granddaddy of all serving scriptures, that Jesus is giving us an example of what it means to serve in John chapter 13. He's washing the disciples' feet. Now, here's the thing. A lot of churches through history have taken chapter 13 and have instituted a church ordinance of foot washing. Now, here's the thing. There's nothing wrong with a foot washing service, but that's not what Jesus is teaching us here. He was not teaching in this time frame because this is now he is at the Last Supper. He has instituted the Lord's Supper communion. Baptism becomes an ordinance for the church. But when here in John chapter 13 and you don't see this foot washing in Matthew, Mark and Luke only in John. It is not Jesus instituting an ordinance for the church to now start performing and doing. He's providing an example like communion. When he says, this is my body, this is my blood. It was not to, for the church to say, it's the literal body and blood. He is saying, when you take the body and the blood, when you take the cup and the bread, you, it's, it's, it's to remembering what I've done. So when Jesus washes the disciples' feet, it wasn't so we would start now washing one another's feet. He's leaving an example, and there are, it's a symbolism. He's, he's saying there are two main significant things I'm trying to teach you here. Last week, we saw the first one. It was, it was the, the, the spiritual purpose of this. Jesus in verses six through 11, he's like, I'm going to wash you and, and you don't need another bath. You only need to wash your feet. And he's, he's teaching them that when we come to know Christ as Savior, he washes us completely of our sin. That should have been an amen right there. You've been, if you know Christ as your Savior, you are washed completely of every sin you've ever committed, done, washed, cleansed. Amen. Amen. But even in that text, Jesus says, but listen, there are times you don't need a complete bath, but you need to continue to wash your feet. And the continuing washing of our feet as a believer is we are saved completely forgiven, but we still sin. That's a reality. But God gives us the hope and the promise of knowing that when we do sin, if we confess our sins, if, as, as John writes again in 1 John, if you, if you sin and you confess it, God is faithful and just, and he will forgive you of all your sin again and cleanse you of all your unrighteousness. That's the continued washing that Jesus is talking about spiritually, and he was teaching his disciples that spiritual purpose. But he doesn't stop there. He's also now showing them, and this is what we're talking about today, but there's a practical purpose that he was trying to teach them with the foot washing. And again, it wasn't so they would start washing one another's feet as an ordinance, but he was trying to teach them what it means to serve one another. And so that's what we want to look at today. He's trying to teach them and give them an example of what it means to be a copycat. That as believers in Christ, we are to be copycats of Jesus Christ. And so today, I want to look at a, few th- a couple things about what it means to copy Jesus. So copying Jesus means this. Here's the first one. Copying Jesus means having an attitude of humility. It's having an attitude of humility. So let's begin. I, as I, we, we looked at these verses last week, but I just want to read through them again. Sets it up. In chapter 13, verse 1, he says, Now before the feast of the Passover, remember, Jesus has now come to the Last Supper, all right? It's the Passover feast, but this is his Last Supper with the disciples. He is now just a matter of hours away from being arrested, from being taken away and and put on trial and, and dying, all right? Even though we just celebrated Easter, we are now into the Easter message part of. John, and this is where Jesus is at. He is at his last supper with the disciples, and it goes on. It says, when Jesus knew that his hour, meaning his death, has come to depart out of this world to the father, having loved his own and were in who were in the world, he loved them to the end. And during supper, when the devil had already put it into the heart of Judas Iscariot, Simon's son. To betray him, Jesus, knowing that the Father had given him all things into his hands and that he had come from God and was going back to him, rose from supper. He laid aside his outer garments, meaning his, his long flowing robes. And taking a towel, he tied it around his waist. And then he poured water into a basin and began to wash the disciples' feet and to wipe them with the towel that was wrapped around him. That's the point here. The 12, along with Jesus, has now gathered in the upper room. And in Jesus' time, foot washing was, was, this is just not just like one example, foot washing was a common thing. Because in that time, remember last week I talked about, people wore sandals, and they didn't walk on paved roads, they walked on dirt roads. And the reality is, as you were going through the day, walking around, your feet became very dirty, dusty. Caked with mud sometimes. So when you entered into a house, you just didn't take your sandals off and then just start parading around you. There was usually a basin and and water right there at the door. And most people would wash their own feet, but there were people who had servants. And the job of washing the foot of the master was to the servant. The servant would bow down take the basin, put the water in it, and then wash his master's feet and then wipe them off and the master would go on about his business. Jesus is doing this. He is now taking a a towel and he bows down and he takes the feet of his disciples and he washes them and he pours the water on it and he takes the towel and dries it off. And he puts one foot down and he gets up and he moves to the next. And he bows down and he washes that disciples foot, gets back up, goes to the next, bows down, washes their feet and he goes to each disciple. And you notice one disciple that's not discluded, Judas. Think about that for a moment. Jesus in humility knows that Simon, Simon's son Judas, has already been activated. Satan has already prompted Judas' heart. It is time to betray your master. And Jesus knows this, but yet in humility, guess what he does? He bows down to Judas's feet. And washes them and he goes around and he washes all 12 and he comes to peter and peter's like no you're not washing mine and that's where jesus is like oh peter you don't understand what i'm doing to you because peter if i don't wash you you have no share with me and i gotta wash you peter and so jesus washes these disciples feet he humbles himself Jesus is their master, their savior, their Lord, their teacher. He should be the one getting his feet washed by these 12, but he washes their feet. Why? Why does Jesus do this? Why does he leave them this example? Why does he bow himself and in humility wash the feet of his servants? Because he knows their heart. He knows how competitive these guys are. You remember how many times these disciples were always jockeying for position. James and John comes to Jesus one day and says, "Yo, Jesus, we want to sit at your right hand in your kingdom." I mean, no pride there. We don't care about the other ten, but us two, we're brothers. These 12 were always arguing about who was better, who was on top, who was the best one, who Jesus loved more, who can get it done. In fact, in, in Luke chapter 22, after Jesus had told them what was going on, he, he, he passed the bread to them. He was like, guys, this is my body, which is going to be broken for you in a matter of hours. He gives them the cup and he says, This cup represents my blood that is going to be shed here in a few hours for your sin. And, and he does this, all, the, all this stuff. And, and, and in Luke chapter 22 says, When he had all done, when he said all this stuff and they were leaving, they were arguing. You know what they were arguing about? Who was the best? I'm the greatest. No, you're not, John. (laughs) Jesus said, I'm the rock. Jesus said, he's going to build his church on me, not you. They were arguing about who is the greatest. So tell me, does Jesus look at these men and go, no, I trust them. I think they're going to do a great job. I don't need to teach them anything else. He's like, nope. I got to give them a very practical, real illustration of what it means to serve what it means to be humble because in a matter of hours Jesus is going to die in a matter of about a day and a half he is going to be in a tomb and he's going to raise from the dead and then he'll be with his disciples for 40 days and then he's going back to heaven And their leader is no longer going to be present with them. He is passing the baton of leadership. He's passing the baton to these 12 men. And these 12 men, minus Judas, are going to become the leaders of the church. They're going to become the apostles, the rock, the pillars of what Jesus is going to commission. And the Holy Spirit's going to come to baptize the church. And they are, and Jesus is like, I've got to lay a foundation for these people. If these guys don't get it, the church will fail. I've got to show these guys what it means to be humble because they are, how many of you know, when you have position and power, pride is so quickly comes into the heart. And these guys are going to be the leaders now. They're not following Jesus. Jesus is now the leader. These 12 are going to become the leaders or the 11 after Judas dies. How quick will the enemy want to put in the heart of Peter or the heart of John or, hey, guys, you're, look at who you are. You're the pillar now. And Jesus is trying to teach them. It doesn't matter how much power you have if you have no humility. It doesn't matter how great of a leader are you are if you cannot serve. What makes a great leader is the ability to serve. What makes somebody powerful is to be able to be humble. And Jesus is trying to teach these men and give them a very practical application of what it means truly to lead this church. You've got to be humble. You've got to be able to put on humility to be able to wash the feet of everybody that will be coming into this thing. And just as he is teaching these 11, these 12 men what it means to humble and he is able to visibly give them the application. The word of God still teaches us today the importance of humility. In 1 Peter chapter five, verse five, Peter writes, he says, all of you clothe clothe yourselves with humility toward one another because God opposes the proud but gives grace to the humble. In Philippians chapter three, the apostle Paul writing to the Philippian church, he says, do nothing from selfish ambition or conceit, but in humility count others more significant than yourselves. Let each of you look not only to his own interests, but also to the interests of others. Your attitude should be the same as that of Christ Jesus. There is The copycat. Your attitude should be the same as Jesus Christ. And in verse seven of Philippians three, it even says that Jesus made himself nothing, taking the form of a servant. You see, that's copying Jesus. The context of humility in Philippians two and in here in John chapter three comes in the form of service being a servant. It's it's looking at how can I serve someone else? It's looking at self and going, it's not about me. When an opportunity to serve someone comes into my sphere of influence, when I have an opportunity to, to serve and to help, do I look at the opportunity and go, nope, not for me? Or do I humble myself and step into it? That's what humility is. That's what's the attitude of Jesus. It's, it's looking at what did Jesus do? And you know, it's not about wearing the little WWJD bracelet. It literally is what would Jesus do? And it's looking at an opportunity and, and saying, okay, you know what? I have an opportunity to, to serve and, and, and to do. I wanna be like Jesus and I wanna copy him. And one of the first things Jesus is showing us here in this text is that copying him means I have an attitude of humility. And that's hard for us, isn't it? You see, that's why as we get into chapter 14, 15, 16, he starts talking about the Holy Spirit. Because you want to know how you really humble yourself through the help of the Holy Spirit. The reality is, Um, we are more like the disciples than we want to admit. Pride creeps in so fast. Looking out for my own interests, that's what we're all about. Doing what we want, that's what I'm about. And the idea of humility, nobody just volunteers usually to humble themselves to serve. That's why we need to have that mindset that says, Holy Spirit, Father, help me to serve. Help me to be more like Jesus in this place. Help me to have that attitude and to copy Jesus and be humble. And the more we pray and ask for his help, the easier it becomes to see an opportunity to serve and to step into it. So that's the first thing about copying Jesus. It means having that attitude of humility. But here's the second thing about Copying Jesus. Copying Jesus means, secondly, following his example and serve. It's about now following the example of Jesus. It's not just knowing, well, Jesus was humble. It's, it's now putting it into action. It, it's following his example. So like I said, last week I preached through verses 6 through 11. So in verse 12 now, it says, When he had washed their feet, put on his garments, and resumed his place, he said to them, Do you understand what I have done? I thought about that. I'm like, I'm wondering if that was... How many of you remember the movie Ferris Bueller's Day Off? Remember the teacher was like, Bueller? Anybody? Anybody? I'm wondering if Jesus goes, Hey, guys, do you understand what I've done? And all he hears is crickets. Because... In the natural, on the surface, they're looking at Jesus, probably thinking, of course we know what you did. You washed our feet. What's the big deal? But below the surface, where Jesus was truly getting to, I don't think they had a clue what he was trying to teach them. Because the spiritual point, Jesus tried to explain to Peter what was going on. And I'm truly, i thinking, hey guys, do you understand what I'm doing to you? No, not really. They, I believe they could only see the natural. He's washed our feet. What's What else is he trying to teach us? Guys, I needed to wash you so you'd have a part of me. But now he goes on and he's going to tell them three things to help them understand why he washed their feet. And the three things that he tells them about washing their feet has nothing to do with washing their feet. Okay? what, What Jesus is trying to teach them now in a practical, everyday sense is not about physically washing someone's feet, even though that would have been common practice. It was not about washing their feet, but how to serve. And that's what we need to understand is we need to see what Jesus says here and look at how, what we need to understand about serving, all right? And so here are three things that you and I need to understand when it comes to this aspect of serving. And here's the first thing. The first thing I need to understand is this. If I profess Christ as savior, I do as he did and I serve. If Christ is my savior, I need to do as he did, and I serve. So he asked them, you understand what I'm doing for you guys? And I don't think they do, because now he has to explain himself. Because in verse 13, he says this. He says, you call me teacher and Lord, and you are right, for so I am. All right, so he first says, he says, you call me this that the words call me actually means to declare. It means to voice. The most literal, I found this one interesting, the most literal sense of to call me means to crow. Think about this for a minute. How many of you ever been on a mission trip to Central America? Mexico, Guatemala, somewhere down there. Something, if you, whenever you go to Central America, something you're going to notice somewhere around I don't know 3:30 in the morning 4 in the morning roosters don't shut up they goda do and they just don't do it once or twice they go on and on and it's just not Joe Bagadona servicing sir over here then his buddy over here has to start calling too and it becomes a crow fest and you just want to look out the window and go shut up they just crow all the time that's what Jesus is saying here he's like if you call me meaning you're, you 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 say i'm a believer I need three volunteers. Who would want to volunteer? Megan, don't look away from me because you're gonna volunteer now. One, Megan's number two, Ron, you're number three. Just raise your hand. Are you a believer in Jesus Christ? If you are, raise your hand. Okay. Raise your hand. Are you a believer in Jesus Christ? Yes or no, raise your hand if you are. Okay. Now, I want you to say, if you are a believer in Jesus Christ, say, I'm a believer in Jesus Christ. All right? If you're a believer in Jesus Christ, please say, I'm a believer in Jesus Christ. So you all are professing that you are believers in Jesus Christ, right? And you're just, if I kept asking you, you would keep declaring, I am a believer in Jesus Christ, right? So it's something you're going to keep saying and keep saying and keep saying. Guess what you're doing? You're crowing. Okay, you're you're not going to if I were to ask you a hundred times, are you a believer in Jesus Christ? A hundred times, what would you say? A hundred times. So if I asked you a thousand, it wouldn't change. If I asked you for the next 40 days, every hour, are you a believer in Jesus Christ? You would all continue to say, I'm a believer in Jesus Christ. Why? Because that's what you profess. That's what you believe in your heart, and you're going to profess it. You're going to declare it. You're going to say it, and you're going to keep crowing it. I am a believer in Jesus Christ. Jesus is saying to these guys, you call me. You keep professing. You keep crowing. You are a believer in Jesus Christ. And he says, and you are right. And he knows it. Because there was a time when he asked them, who do you say I am? And they didn't look at him like a goat or a cow staring at a new gate like, I don't know. They made the declaration. You are the Christ, the son of the living God. They professed it. And these guys kept saying it and kept saying it and kept saying it. And Jesus knew it. He knew what they believed. He knew what they were. He knew these guys kept saying, Jesus is our teacher. He's our our rabbi. But not only that, he says, you call me your teacher and your Lord. Meaning, you keep calling me your savior, your Messiah, your master. And he goes, and you're right, because that's what I am. So he knows these guys keep crowing this. They keep declaring it. They keep professing it. So here's what he says. He says, you call me this? Verse 14. If I then, your Lord and your teacher, if this is what you keep saying about me, if I have washed your feet, you also ought to wash one another's. Oh man, he just set the trap. You call me your Lord, you call me your teacher. That's awesome, guys. So let me say this then. So if I am who you profess to be, I am your Messiah, I am your Savior, I am your Lord, well, guess what? I just washed your feet. So I, as your Lord, as your teacher, your Messiah, your Savior, guess what you ought to be doing? Washing these guys' feet. So if I served you, guess what you are to do for each other? You better be serving. You see, Jesus is making a simple connection. There is, there is no such thing as a non-serving Christian. If I profess Christ to be my savior, he's my savior. Guess what the natural outflow of that then is? Serving. It would be like a lifeguard saying, I'm a lifeguard, but I don't swim. It would be like someone saying, I'm a hunter, but I don't hunt. Those don't go together. So that's like someone saying, I am a Christian, but I don't serve. It doesn't go together. Jesus is like, if I am your, if you profess me and you keep professing this, you keep telling, you keep saying, I'm your savior then you should be serving because they are connected. You don't have one without the other. They interconnect. But I want us to look a little bit deeper in this, not just who, just not the fact that we are to serve, but notice who we are to serve. He says, just as I have washed your feet, he goes, you also ought to wash one another's feet. He did not say Just as I washed your feet, now go wash everybody else's feet. He says, wash one another's feet. Because that's going to become very important for them to understand when the church is started. He's laying a foundation for these guys to go, listen, you are to serve, but you just don't go serve randomly. There is a purpose in your serving. And your serving has to be among one another. Because once the church starts... And, and the church explodes on day one, and all of these people are added to their numbers, guess what comes so important? That they are serving one another. In the book of Acts, when you read the book of Acts, and you see all these people added to the church, boom, that quick, it now becomes all of a sudden they start helping each other. They start giving their money to each other. They start serving each other. They are helping each other in that church. When you start to read now the book of the, the entire New Testament, when you start to read from Romans and Corinthians and Galatians and Ephesians and Philippians and Colossians and Thessalonians, you start to read something to the church, to the believers, to the elect. They are the New Testament. Is not written to non believers. It is written to believers, primarily to churches. And what you keep reading over and over and over in the New Testament are commands. One another commands. Because here's, and I hope I hope this point shocks you today. The church, believers, are to take care of believers. The church serves the church. Now, you may be like, well, Jim, that doesn't make sense. I'm going to keep flushing this out. Because over and over and over in the New Testament, you're going to keep seeing this. And we're going to see it in about 18 verses. Love one another. Serve one another, encourage one another, strengthen one another, carry each other's burdens. Those one another commands are not written to people outside the church. They're written inside to believers in the church and as believers, I as a believer am to serve you as a believer. I am to love you as a believer, encourage you as a believer, strengthen you as a believer. The scriptures keep telling us we are to strengthen the church, build the church, encourage the church. We are to do this for one another. Now, does that mean that I don't do anything outside the church? No. But here's the thing, and here's where we need to grasp. My first priority, the primary place that I'm supposed to serve Is in the church. Because the church takes care of the church. The community. Does not take care of the church. When. I mean be honest. When was the last time. You just saw an unbeliever walk into the church and go. Hey can I just help the church. It doesn't happen. The church takes care of the church. We strengthen the church. So my primary place, my primary responsibility, my priority has got to be I serve first in the church. And then when I have time and when an opportunity arises, I can do things outside the church. But what happens is, and I've seen this too many times, I've been in this, been in this boat long enough, is this. People start putting irons in their fire we get really, really busy doing things outside the church. And here's what people say I don't have time to serve in the church. That's backwards. It should be I'm serving in the church and I'm busy in the church. And when an opportunity arises outside the church, if I'm too busy, the church doesn't get sacrificed. That does. So, if you can serve on the school board or the town board, you can go volunteer in, the, in, in a dog shelter, you can serve in, you know, in any, you know, on your kids' little league team, do it. Enjoy it. Have fun, but not at the expense of the church. It can't happen. The church has got to be served and strengthened and built up by believers in the church. Now, you may be thinking, oh, come on, Jim. It doesn't matter where you serve just as long as you serve. I agree. You've got to serve. But primarily and first and foremost, it's got to be in the church and then jump out of the church. But you can't be serving outside the church and being so involved in things outside the church. You have no time for the church. Now, why is it important for you and I to understand this? Why does scripture make it very clear that we are to take care of one another and build each other up and strengthen the church? Why do we as believers have to focus on the church? Because of its purpose. Think of a hospital. Hospitals, are they primarily for very healthy people or sick people? Sick people, are they, you know, if, if someone is just very healthy, no problems, are they going to the doctor going, you know what, I am just a specimen of great health, I think I need your help. Or is it the person that's broken their leg going to the emergency room? It's the person who is, who, who's, who's got the, the, the bronchitis so bad in their lungs they can barely breathe going to the hospital. It's the person who has cancer going to the hospital. It's the person who is sick and injured and hurt going to the hospital. And they go to the hospital to get help. They go to the hospital to get better. Now here's the thing, if you go to the hospital, how many of you just like go into the emergency room and you've got a broken leg and you've got to sit there for six hours? Do you get a little bit of like, hey, what's going on here? I've got a broken leg and you keep being told, well, you know what, Um, we'll get to you eventually. Now, how does it make you feel if the the receptionist comes up to you and goes, hey, you know what, we hear you. We know you're you're really sick, but you know what? Most of our doctors and nurses are really, they're, they're working outside the church today or working outside the hospital today. They're busy with other things. They don't have time to help you here. Would you stay at that hospital very long or would you go be looking for another hospital to help you? Jesus says in Luke... Chapter five, when he's eating with a bunch of tax collectors and the Pharisees are like asking his disciples, why does your teacher hang out with these like lowlifes? And Jesus looks at him, he goes, look, I did not come because of healthy people. He goes, goes, a doctor is not for someone who is healthy. A sick person needs a doctor. He goes, I did not come for righteous people. I've come to call sinners. And then in Matthew chapter 28, Jesus gives us the purpose of the church. He looks at the the disciples. He goes, guys, here's your mission. Go and make disciples, baptizing them in the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit, and then teaching them to obey all that I have taught there's two points in that mission. The initial mission is go and make disciples. The initial mission of the church is that you and I go and make a disciple. What that means is I go and I talk to people who are not disciples, who don't know Jesus. And the initial coming to Jesus is up to you and me. We go to our work. We talk to our friends. We talk to whomever God puts in my path. And if they don't know Jesus, guess what my mission is? My job is, hey, do you know Christ as Savior? To get them to come to know Christ, that's the initial mission of the church. Now, once someone comes to know Jesus or you invite an unbeliever to church, what becomes the purpose of the church? To make a disciple, to teach them the purpose of the church. Once we go, and unbelievers come to know Christ, they got. Where do they go? Where do they go to grow up in Christ? Where do they grow to become a mature believer in Christ? Where do they grow to strengthen their faith? Where do they go to grow up in their salvation? To Walmart? Do they go to the local YMCA? Do they go to the the local Legion? Or where do they go? Raise your hand if you know where they go. Where is it? To the church. The corporate local church. So they got to come into this place. They got to come into the church. And guess what's going to happen in the church? You go to work and you're talking to Bob who's married and has three small children, but Bob and his wife don't know Christ. And well, Bob comes to know Jesus Christ through you. So Bob now says to his wife, hey Mary, let's go to church. My friend Devon has asked me to go to his church and Bob and Mary have three little kids. Well, Bob and Mary come to church. Well, unfortunately that church doesn't have a children's ministry because they don't have enough people to serve in the children's ministry. So we don't have anything for kids. But Bob and Mary, please come. Oh, by the way, we really don't have anything for you because we don't have enough people to serve you. What's going to happen to Bob and Mary? They're going to fall away because they can't grow. But what happens when Bob and Mary with their three little kids can come to a church where those who say and profess... Jesus is my Lord. He's my Savior. And everybody who makes that profession finds their place in the church. And they're serving. They're serving as a a greeter. They're serving as an usher. They're serving a cup of coffee. They're serving cleaning the church. They're serving in the children's ministry. They're serving in whatever capacity. They're just like, hey, Jesus is my Savior. And he's showed me, to, he's given me an example, and he told me if I profess him to be a, his, his, his follower, then I'm gonna serve. And now all of a sudden, everybody who's capable is serving somewhere. How much easier is it now for Bob and Mary to come to church and learn and grow and become a believer? And here's what happens. Bob and Mary start to come and they start to, they're able to connect in a small group because we have small group leaders. They're able to go to a Sunday school class and learn more because we have people stepping up to volunteer to teach. They come, they're able to come to church and hear the word. And now they start to grow. They start to become a believer. Their, Their faith starts to grow. Their salvation begins to mature. Now guess what Bob and Mary start to do? They go out. And they witness. And they go out to make a disciple. And then Bob and Mary, as it, when they make a disciple, guess where they bring that disciple? To the church. Do you understand why Jesus says if you are my belie- if you believe that I am your Lord and your Savior, your teacher, your Messiah, guess what you need to be doing? Serving. Serve one another. The one another commands are not just so you and I can memorize them. The one another commands are so we can put them into practice. And the one another commands happens when other Christians are taking care of other Christians. And when the church is taking care of the church, the church becomes strong and healthy, vibrant, alive. And it's strong and healthy so that way when we see people who don't know Christ come in, there's an opportunity for them to grow and to become strong and vibrant as a believer themselves. And so, as a believer in Jesus Christ, I have to understand that if Jesus is my Lord, I do as he did. And he served us, so we need to serve one another. But here's the second thing we also need to understand is this. If I profess Christ as Savior, I'm not greater than he, and I serve. If I know Christ is my Savior, I need to understand I'm not greater than he is, and I serve. So look at now verse 16. So in verse 15, he says, for I've given you an example that you should do just as I have done. He's like, I've given you the example, now you need to do it. And here's why. Look at verse 16. Truly, truly, So he's really wanting them to get this. I say to you, a servant is not greater than his master, nor is a messenger greater than the one who sent it. So he is looking at these guys and he said, Hey, um, I just gave you an illustration, I just gave you an example. And now he goes, A servant is not greater than the master. Throw out for me just what are some descriptions that the Bible describes Jesus as? Prince of Peace. Who? Prince of Peace. Prince of Peace. Faithful. Faithful. Shepherd. 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 You're missing the big ones that I'm looking for. Huh? Mighty King. Mighty King. There's a good one. King of Kings. There's another one. Savior. Savior. Son of God. What else? Messiah. Messiah. Lord. Those are the big ones. He's like, oh, by the way, because he, he says, you call me teacher and Lord. He doesn't say, you call me sub and your friend. I am your teacher and I'm your Lord. And the Bible makes it very clear. Jesus is king King of kings, he's Lord, Lord of lords, he is savior, he is master, he is judge, he is ruler, he is creator of all things, he is the second person of the Godhead, he is the son of God, but he is also God, okay? Get that in your mind. So if that's what the Bible says, who Jesus is, what are some terms that the Bible says you and I are? Sinner. Children. Sheep. Servant. Nowhere in the Bible, and I know there are some, some preachers today that will say you and I are little gods. No, you are not. You're not God on any scale whatsoever. You and I are servant. In fact, the real terminology for the word servant is bondservant. You know what that means? Slave. Paul even writes that you and I are like under rowers on the ship. Like if you think back in the old times where they they rowed, you had people on top, but underneath... The unseen, where the oars are, are sticking out. Guess who's down there? Slaves, chained, rowing the boat. That's who Paul really calls you and I. You're the under rower. So Jesus is now looking at his servants. And he's already designated himself as teacher and Lord. And he asks a simple question. Who's greater? You or me? Who's greater, the servant or the master? That's not, I mean, that's not Alex, give me, you know, who's greater for 2,000. That's a no-brainer. You are Jesus. So Jesus is saying, so if the master is greater than the servant, and the messenger is less than the one who sent it, and if I, your Lord... Gave you an example, and I knelt down and served you. What should you be doing for me? What do you think? Serving. Serving. So when a Christian... Remember, the first sign that Jesus gives us is a sign of humility. When a Christian, and you may not verbally say it, but by your actions, when you do not serve, when you're not serving in the church... What are your actions saying? I'm master. I'm greater than Jesus. I'm God. I don't need to serve. I don't need to give. Because I'm who I am. And that's pride. Pride elevates self. Pride says, I don't need to serve. Everybody else can do that. I'm just going to sit and soak. That's pride. And you've just elevated yourself no longer a servant, but as master. And that's a bad place to be because Jesus is the only master, Jesus is the only Lord, and nobody competes for that position. Jesus is saying, if I am your Lord and your Savior, your Messiah, then you need to follow my example. And if I am your master and you are my servant, then as servant, you serve the master. And the way you and I serve the master is we serve his body. And the body are the people around us. We serve in the church because we are not greater than he. And then lastly, if I profess Christ as Savior, I know what to do, and I serve. I know what to do, and I do it, and I serve. And that's where verse 17 is. He says, if you know these things, blessed are you if you do them. So the question is, is when are you blessed? By knowing what to do or doing it? By doing it. So um, everyone in this room and everyone listening right now, You are without excuse. You have heard the truth. Jesus gave us an example, and we are to do as he did because he is our master, we are his servant, and we are to serve one another. If you are a believer in Jesus Christ, if if you're here today and you don't profess Christ as your savior, you're off the hook. You don't have to serve. Because you don't know Christ as savior, You're free to do what you want. But if you are here today, and you crow, and you call Jesus your Savior, and if I were to ask you a thousand times, and you would say, yep, Jesus is my Savior, then you need to be serving. Because you are his servant. He is greater than you. And you know it now. You know the truth. And Jesus says, you will be blessed if you do it. That word blessed truly means spiritually happy. It means there's gonna be something in you that just feels like I am complete. I I feel like I'm, 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 wow, I'm doing what I should be doing. As believers, the Bible makes it very clear, just don't be a hearer of it. Don't let it go in one ear and out the other and just go on. Don't just come in, sit down, soak it up and then leave. The idea is that I sit down, soak it up, hear the truth, and I engage in it. I step into it. I find my place, and boom, there I go. I'm off and running. Now, I need a a message like this is hard because I don't want anybody walking out going, Jim, I am 87 years old, and I can barely move, and you listen. I know there are some of you in here who physically, you physically cannot serve. That's okay. But let me give you, you know what, and, and, and we've, got, we've got some, you know, some of you are, are more mature than the rest of us. Is that the politically correct way to say that? I'm not just gonna come flat out and say, Richard, you're just old. Some of you are more mature than some of us. You just physically cannot do it, that's okay. But you know what, Sandy, you know how you can serve? And Paula said this to me, and this made sense. By what you showing up every Sunday, and you come worshiping, and then I think of the Curtis kids sitting back there, and Everly and Eden and and, and Huxley, I'm thinking Toby, I'm like, that's not right. And Huxley, they may not understand it yet, but hopefully in years to come, when Sandy's passed and they're teenagers, they may look back and go, man, I remember. Sandy wasn't able to do a lot, but boy, she came and worshiped and that became an example. See, that's a way to work. That's a way to serve. But for the rest of us in here, if you are an able body, you can attend your kids' ball games or your grandkids' ball games. You can go to the movies. You can, you can do all kinds of stuff. Guess what you should be doing in the church? Say it say like some, some conviction. Serving. serving. So my question is, if you are not serving, if you've been in this church for at least six months and you believe in Christ as your savior, and you call this church your home, guess what you should be doing? Lift up your voice with some conviction. Serving. Serving. Finding a ministry and serving. Now, what that is, I don't know. Could be an usher, coffee buying. Maybe it's helping clean the church. Maybe it's, I don't know. But listen, you can fill this out and say, I want to get in the ministry. There I haven't looked at it in a while. There's ministries on there. Check one off. There are cards out on the, the table, on the visitor counter. Pick one of those up. Talk to me. Talk to Adam and Abby about children's ministry. You can talk to Andrea about connections and ministry. You can talk to Mary Cooper about compassion ministry. You can talk to Paula about worship ministry. You can talk to any of our leaders about any ministry. You got to talk and get involved. My challenge for all of us who are able-bodied, you have the physicality in your body to be able to serve. My challenge for you is that you don't get up from this message and go, that was a good message. Great word, Jim. That made me feel good. And you walk out the door and you just repeat your process coming next Sunday. You show up, you sit down, you soak it up, and you go home. My challenge for you today is that the Holy Spirit is speaking to your heart. That the word of God has been that double-edged sword right now. And it is cut, it's divided, and it's spoken to you right here. And it has challenged you. Something I prayed this morning, I prayed with Adam this morning, and I pray it this way. God, change their mind, convict their heart, Challenge their will. All three have got to work. So where are you at? Are you serving? And if not, why not? Let's pray. Just bow your head with me. And it got real quiet in here right then. And I want to believe that that's hopefully the Holy Spirit speaking to a lot of hearts in here and maybe to people online. And and I, I don't preach this message to bring some kind of guilt trip. I preach that message because that's what happens when you go through a book of the Bible step by step, chapter by chapter, and you sometimes repeat yourselves. But I figure if... I'm repeating myself because the scripture repeats itself, then I have to keep repeating myself. And so today, as I pray, I ask that you would just examine yourself. Examine to see where are you at, and if you're not serving, why not? And begin to contemplate, I need to walk in obedience today. I know now what to do. I need to do it. So Father, I pray that as we close this service, that your word has spoken to all of our hearts. And Lord, I am so grateful for the many people in here who serve every week. But Lord, I also know there are people in here who do not serve. And I pray, Lord, your Holy Spirit is just challenging their hearts right now. That we all step into a place somewhere because we are to serve one another, love one another, and build each other up. We are to strengthen the church so that way we become the hospital for those who are sick spiritually can come in and be healed and grow. Lord, we wanna be faithful as a church here in Woodhall and Western Illinois to do what we can do and do it to the best of our ability. But Lord, in order for that to happen, we need as many people as possible to be serving in, in, in a lot of capacity. So I pray, Holy Spirit, that you would just keep speaking to our hearts, I just pray, Holy Spirit, that you would just keep changing our minds, convicting the heart, and challenging our will. And I just thank you, and I praise you, and ask all this, Father, in Jesus' name. Amen. Let's all stand and close.